Everyone, we're going to start here. Um, it's time to uh, settle in. And we're going to have a, a presentation here of uh, Chafer Seminary. Um, this is a uh, Chafer Seminary conference, so we are going to focus just a minute for this period uh, on, on Chafer Seminary and how we can our vision for what we're trying to do and um, to help out pastors, help out local churches, and we'll have a few people uh, give their testimony. I make one announcement before we get started, and that is if you want to make a donation to the conference, but you don't have cash for the donation, you can go online to westhoustonbiblechurch.org. That's westhoustonbiblechurch.org. And you can make a donation there through PayPal. So all of the donations to westhoustonbiblechurch.org will go to the conference. So as we said last night, um, the conference costs. I'd like to introduce one of the students. Uh, Pat, where are you? Pat Jones? Yeah. Um, Pat Jones is a student at Schaefer, and we've asked him to come and uh, share uh, a, few, a few minutes, just take a few minutes and share uh, what he, he has experienced uh, at Schaefer. Okay, Pat, and here's the mic. I think the mic is on. Let's see. I don't know. Let me see. Uh, good morning. As uh, Charlie said, my name is Pat Jones, and I'm a student at Chafer Seminary. <clears throat> um, a f- number of years ago, well, I, I grew up. Uh, spiritually in very sound Bible teaching churches and learned a lot and a number of years a few years ago I had uh, excuse me the opportunity to uh, go to Zambia with uh, Dan and Pat Hill and there the Lord really uh, used me in ways I wasn't expecting he you know he'd prepared me to uh, to minister to the folks there and it became apparent to me that he wanted me to uh, to do that, to teach uh, people, and you know, especially in, in rural areas of Africa. But I realized also that I didn't have the uh, tools that to really exegete the word on my own. To under, you know, to to be a really good Berean, I'd, I'd been basically been listening to well-trained pastors and learning from them, and learned a lot of the word. But I knew I needed to acquire the tools to you know learn the to mine the word to study it myself so that I could both teach the word to people and also teach them how to become good students of the bible and that's what chafer does it it provides the tools the original languages and uh you know the, the various you know hermeneutical tools to make a person competent in uh te- in in studying and uh teaching the scriptures so that's what I that's why I went to Chafer and I'm finding that uh that those these classes are really helping me to learn to do that. 
And then also uh, Mr. Clough's uh, framework series teaches how to pull all of the scripture, to, to view scripture as a whole and put, pull it all together. And, you know, sometimes we uh, make the mistake of getting out the mar- microscope and really digging in and losing sight of what's all around. So the, so Chafer offers both the microscope and the, the telescope to really uh, get the entire word, you know, in, in focus and, and uh, related to, to, you know, all the different parts related to each other. So that's what I uh, that's been my experience at Schaefer, and I'm really uh, finding it useful, and I want to take that out to uh, to the mission field. So that's it. Oh, four or five slides here at the start because I wanted to focus on the need for local churches to have trained people. And as this slide shows, this is one of the slides we use when we present the seminary. Um, Churches have traditionally not thought about succession. What happens if the pastor leaves, if he's sick, or if he dies? Um, when you run a company, I, I don't know anybody in my military experience who has ever been in command of a unit that hasn't thought of succession. In combat, you better have an idea of succession because your leader may be dead tomorrow. So you have to have people trained to take over leadership. And if you have small business, you know that. If you're in a large company, I don't know. I've never worked for any employer that wasn't thinking about succession. But isn't it strange, when we think about the local church, we don't think about succession. And we have that passage in Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, that talks about Paul talking to Timothy, and he tells Timothy to train people who can train others. That's talking about succession. And it's our experience at the seminary, our our secretary, uh, Bev Penner, uh, I think she gets a letter once a month from from some church desperate for a trained pastor, a dispensational free grace pastor. And right now, we have no student that has the degree yet to give them. So where are these people supposed to go? Let's think about what's going on here. The body of pre-trained people, trained in the Word of God, that's somehow out there, They don't drop in by a parachute into your church when you need them. What's happening here, we've got a fallacious way of thinking about this. We somehow think that somebody else in another church is going to take the money and the time to get the training so we can benefit when we need it. And I can tell you from the demographics, the body of trained men that you can call on is very small and it's getting smaller and smaller. So if you're a pastor and you're in leadership, you're a deacon, you're an elder, you better start thinking about succession. And the best way to think about it is think about spiritual gifts, the gifts of teaching that are in your congregation. What are you doing to train these people, to give them an incentive to take the sacrifice of time to learn how to teach the Word of God? We are in a survival mode, folks, in the middle of a rapidly paganizing culture where we are dealing with 
a generation, and this has been you know, true for about the last 20 or 30 years, we're dealing with generations of people with no Christian background. They've gone, and think of yourself, most of us have gone through secular education. Now just think of the 13 most formative years in your life, from kindergarten to 12th grade. That's 13 years where you have learned every single subject as though God does not exist, or if he does exist, he's irrelevant to the subject material. Then we become Christians, and we think overnight we suddenly can think in a Christian fashion. Can't do that. For 13 years we've been programmed not to think biblically about almost every subject on earth, and then all of a sudden we become Christians. And, and it's not next week we start thinking biblically. It takes us time. It takes us years to work through that. The discussion we just had here about faith. I went to two graduate schools in science and engineering. And not once was it ever covered that science itself is built on faith. It's built on faith in I can correctly perceive reality I can correctly measure reality. I can use the laws of logic that are not material. Laws of logic are not material. They're immaterial. We ever thought about that? Can any of you think about any course you've ever had where the assumptions, the presuppositions of science were ever explicitly stated in the classroom? I had two areas of graduate training and not once in any course, whether it's mathematics, chemistry, physics, or anything else, where the professor stopped and said, we can't proceed in this subject until we deal with this presupposition, this presupposition, and this. But all of a sudden, it's only the Christians that exercise faith. Baloney. Here's a simple proposition. Think about this one. One of the basic assumptions in all of science, inductive reasoning, is that Tomorrow is going to be the same as today. That the rules and the equations and everything else are going to work tomorrow like they're working today. I challenge any of you to prove that. You can't prove that belief without believing it. You wind up in a circular reasoning. But here's the fundamental assumption of all of our knowledge. And it's never discussed in the classroom And we only talk about faith when it comes to religious things. Faith is going on all the time in every subject. So we want to get straight. And we shouldn't apologize for the fact that we take the word of God by faith. At least we are believing by faith in an omniscient God who is self-revealing himself. So we're not trying to make up truth out of our little finite fallen minds which is what you have to do if you don't believe Genesis 1.1. If God isn't there, or if he is there and he has never revealed himself, uh, epistemologically and metaphysically, we're screwed. And we're just deluding ourselves to think that we know truth. We're not. It's a, it's a creation of our minds. As one great mathematician at Columbia University who got an award for being one of the finest students, and particularly in mathematics, and he said at the end of his, his course, here's what he said. We don't know whether the entire structure of mathematics 
is a diamond that we've discovered or a synthetic stone we have manufactured. Very interesting. This is a, a top mathematician, and he can't tell whether we are discovering truth or whether we're inventing truth. And folks, if you disbelieve the authority of the Scripture and a self-revealing creator, you have to believe that you're just making stuff up in your head. So when we think about training and we think about tomorrow, who's going to be leading our flock? And if you're a pastor, you've invested your life and time for year after year after year in your flock. What uh, kind of insurance or what kind of succession are you going to use to protect the people that you've, you've ministered to? We have to think this through. The body of, of, of people pre-trained that are out there isn't going to last. It's, it's getting smaller every year. And churches that go through uh, search, it's an agonizing process for churches. They have to go through dozens and dozens of people before they can find some person that will teach more than once a week. And if they do, are they going to exegete and do what uh, Dr. McGinnis has pointed out this morning? So long story short, the question is, who's going to fill your pulpit tomorrow? Who's going to teach your kids? Here's the training verse. This is George Meisinger, when he started Jaffer uh, Seminary, chose this verse as sort of the, the key verse for the seminary. The Apostle Paul laid the foundation for academic training. He commanded Timothy to train faithful men who will train others. Now, what that, we could go into a lot of stuff, but I, I want to be brief. I want to respect your time. All I want to do here in the next three or four slides is I want to show you what we're doing differently than most seminaries. What we're, the, the vision that we have is we want the seminary training to be under the authority of the local church. We have had disasters in the evangelical world where churches have financed young men to go off to a campus thousand miles away and study. And they look at the doctrinal statement of the seminary, it looks pretty good, but the problem is the young man will come back and his theology is corrupt, uh, he hasn't learned how to exegete the text. You know, what do we spend all this money for? And this is the product that we're getting out of it. And so there's been a resentment against seminaries of sending young men there because here's what happens. We can have a doctrinal statement that looks good, but then we have faculty on the seminary faculty, and they say they subscribe to the doctrinal statement, but in the class, they start to drift. Well, if the pastor and the elders aren't seeing what their young man or older man that's being trained is actually getting, then there's no check. So you can go through three or four years and $50,000 before you realize, uh-oh, this, this fellow was messed up because we have, frankly, unethical people sometimes teaching at these things where they're living off of money that's being given to a school and then they feel like they're free to do whatever they want to in the course. So we thought, how can we at least have some uh, correction to this? And the idea here is that when every, a student enrolls at Chafer, it's not just between the school 
and the student. It's between the school and the local church leadership and the student. It's not that we're asking pastors to do the training. If they want to, they're free, and I'll give you an example. But the idea is oversight. The pastors usually don't have time to get thoroughly involved, but we want the pastor to be able to access all the materials his student is getting. We feel that that's a built-in corrective. So you don't send someone to a school and you, you can't really see what's going on. So that's, our, our, that's the thinking that goes into that. These are the three programs. We had two in previous years, but we've added a third line to this slide. We have a Master's of Theology, a Master of Biblical Studies, and we had people wanting training for being a teacher in the local church. Uh, they didn't necessarily want to go all the way to the Master's. We had other people who didn't know whether they wanted to go all the way, but they wanted a sample. So Dr. Woods set up the, a set of certificates, which are kind of a bite-sized portion of the master's program. So a person can uh, work on a, a certificate in Bible exposition or a certificate in languages or whatever. And it's less hours, um, and Dr. Woods can explain this when, when he comes up here. Um, one of the partnership models is that we have classes with your church or location of your church. Here, here's how it works. It's online, and the, the, more and more universities are going for online education. And it's going to be very interesting to, to watch the economics here because if you've watched tuition in colleges, those of you who have kids that are trying to send to college, you know how, how thousands and thousands of dollars. And why is tuition going up at the universities, almost like escalating, it's far above the growth of the GNP? Something else is happening. Well, two things are happening. Uh, before I retired from, from the Army, uh, I hired a young man from University of Maryland who happened to be the vice uh, president of the student council for the University of Maryland. And we were out in the field working on some instrumentation, and I said to him, I said, what is going on with tuition? He says, I, don't, I didn't know until I became vice president of the student body, and I watched what this university was doing. Here's why tuition is going up. Because we want diversity on the university campus, we want people from other countries to come. Okay, fine, but here's the problem. We're giving tuition breaks for foreign students. Now, if you give a break to a foreign student and education costs so much, I think it's a little arithmetic problem that if you subtract over here, you have to add over here. So the American students are financing with their higher tuition the foreign students that are coming to the campus. And, of course, now that China has been sending their students to us to learn our technology so they can whip us on the battlefield because they already know the programs. This is part of why our president is going after them. No more theft of intellectual property. So the second thing is the government decided that we're going to have non-forgivable um, uh, non student loans, which means that 
you can default on a loan except when the student government owns the, the loan to you. And so now we have astronomical student debt. And when the universities saw the rise in tuition, that they could ding students for a higher tuition because the students can get government loans, they went to building more and more buildings. Have you been to some campuses and you see all the construction? Now, isn't it ironic that we're building more buildings, more bricks and mortar, exactly at the time that more and more education is over the Internet? don't need the buildings. So watch what happens economically to some of these campuses. Anyway, what we wanted to do is not create a big bricks-and-mortar footprint. We have one in Albuquerque, which is just basically for a few classes in a church there, and our office. Otherwise, it's all over the Internet. And Robbie did an experiment to prove to us conceptually that we could do this with an advanced Greek course. And we thought to ourselves, you know, the Internet is fine. We can have online discussion groups. The problem is, what do we do with advanced exegesis? Because that's almost like an art that you have to learn by watching somebody do it. So Robbie got a test where we took the, a Greek uh, professor at Guatemala... And Robbie controlled the computers here in Houston. And we had a student in Albuquerque and one in the Ukraine. And they taught advanced Greek. So we've proved that we can teach it anywhere on Earth because we have the Internet connection. So that reduces costs, right? We don't have to pay for a big bricks-and-mortar footprint. So we reduce costs by using online education. The second thing is we wanted the local church to be involved. So... Uh, we have um, Josh Meyer. Can you stand, Josh, just a moment? He's pastor of El Paso Bible Church, and he expressed an interest in teaching biblical exposition. So we got to thinking, well, he is a, he's got his theological education. He's perfectly capable of, of teaching the course. So why don't we have him online as he's teaching people in his local church and he can teach other people. So he's going to become an adjunct professor of Chafer Seminary. So this is the flexibility we get this way and we honor the authority of the local church because we've got a pastor who's working in ministry and his local church and he's able to share his teaching basically with the world. Any student anywhere who enrolls in the courses. So the other side of the coin is that when you train people in your local church, you can put them to work because, okay, you've had this course, now you're qualified, and we need this in the congregation, so guess what? So it works both ways. We have the advantages, which we just said, what is learned can be applied in your local church, and uh, you learn study methods resulting in clear understanding of the scripture because we start off with uh, Dr. Mungran uh, works with hermeneutics. He has this great courses in hermeneutics. Uh, I have a course that on the first year level on framework. So we get looking at the big picture, the worldview of the Bible. And um, the idea, again, is to develop leadership in your local church. So now what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask uh, Andy Woods, Dr. Woods is our, our president, 
and I want him to come and share with you his thoughts. Uh, Andy is the basically the academic oversire of our, our school, and he's revised the curriculum um, so that he can uh, we can work with an integrated curriculum that will honor biblical exposition. So, Andy, go ahead. Good morning, y'all. Um, just a couple verses. Uh, George Meisinger had his verse, which I think is a good one, as if my opinion about God's word means that much. But another one that comes to mind is Judges concerning Chafer. Judges chapter 2 and verse 10 it says, all the generations also were gathered to their fathers, and, and there arose another generation after them that did not know the Lord, nor the work that he had done for Israel. That's pretty scary, isn't it? Another one that comes to mind, I know this is not a Bible study, but notice Amos 8, verses 11 and 12. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread or thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and from north uh, even to the east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. So we're kind of entering um, a time period where, you know, as a, as a pastor of a church who has an online ministry, uh, the number one email that I get, and I get this email at least once or twice a week, sometimes much more, but the inquiry is, I live in such and such a part of the country. Can you recommend a church that teaches the way your church does? Have, have any pastors in here received that email? I mean, that is that comes in so consistently. So that kind of demonstrates that, and along with these other verses, the need for a place like uh, uh, Chafer Theological Seminary. And Steve Gare, is Steve here this morning? I guess he's sleeping in. In one of his uh, presentations yesterday, he was uh, complaining about his attendance at a uh, well-known evangelical school where they taught him that there were only six messianic prophecies in the whole Old Testament. Does anybody remember him saying that? I went to that same school. Did you know that? And I said, wow, Steve must have been there during the height of conservatism (laughs) and the, the glory days. Because you know what they taught me in the Old Testament department? They said there's only two. Uh, Old Testament prophecies. Uh, Micah 5 verse 2 was one of them. And then Isaiah 61 verse 1 is number 2. So no Isaiah 7.14, no Isaiah 53, no Daniel 9 verse 26, etc., etc. So you start hearing these types of comments and you start figuring out why we need a place like Chafer Seminary. In the presentation yesterday by Dr. McGinnis in the afternoon session, he made reference to the fact that he believes that Adam 
is a historical figure. Did you ever think we'd arrive at the place in modern-day Christianity where we're even debating that? The reality of the situation is if you don't believe Adam was a historical figure and Luke 3 connects Jesus, the last Adam, back to the first Adam in a genealogy in an unbroken chain, if you don't believe in the historical Adam, how long is it going to be till you start to doubt the historicity of the last Adam? And you start seeing a need for a place like Chafer Seminary. Uh, we have sent a lot of people at our church to different schools uh, to get training. And without exception, uh, Richard Robinson is back there. He could make a lot of comments about this, um, which would be a scary thing to give him the microphone on this issue. Um, every single one of them came back disgruntled or upset over some issue related to theology. We have one guy who was an elder. He's like a miniature Charlie Clough. He's got all the genealogies worked out, put them all over the wall, uh, going back to Adam. Uh, you could tell you the time in history when Adam got his belly button kind of thing. And uh, he went off to a well-known evangelical school and uh, brought up the whole issue of the Genesis flood, Henry Morris and Whitcomb, which we take as a seminal book, amen? And this particular professor just laughed off the book on the grounds of the cover of the book. Oh, the cover hasn't been updated in a number of years. So the whole book is dismissed on that basis. And then you kind of start to travel into the middle of the Bible and get away from early Genesis and you get into the Gospels. And what is the main drive in these institutions concerning the Gospels? Well, it's about how Jesus set up the kingdom in the first century. Already not yet kind of idea. And if you think that, then that kind of changes the purpose of the church, doesn't it? I mean, the purpose of the church is no longer to reach and teach, evangelize and disciple, but the church becomes sort of an institution, you know, whereby it brings in what we would call pastors or turns pastors into community organizers. And they're supposed to sort of reweave the community. So what's happening is, the, as, the, as all of these things are happening is the basic function of the local church uh, the Ephesians 4 model, you know, God has put gifted men in the body of Christ to equip others, bring us to maturity. That's sort of being lost. And along the way, one of the things that starts to get chucked very fast is the condition. Lewis Berry Chafer said there was one condition necessary for a lost human being to be justified before God. And I think Chafer got that from the Bible. Amen because I think the Bible says that about 160 times. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. So along the way, what starts getting lost is the ability to articulate a clear gospel to the lost. The gospel is no longer faith alone, sola, but it's now faith plus sorrow, faith plus trying to do hard, uh, work hard, you know, and all these other things start to get added. And you throw into the mix the social justice movement. You guys been following the social justice movement? I mean, social justice is just galloping 
through uh, entire denominations as I speak. Right now, the Southern Baptists, I saw Dr. White over there raising his head. He could talk talk a lot about that. The Southern Baptists are in this huge uh, controversy related to social justice and, you know, is the purpose of the church to bring in social justice, you know, which in my view is just sort of warmed over Marxism mixed with the Bible. So you've got that issue going on. And then uh, you start to look at the end of the Bible, prophecy. I had a chance to see Tommy Ice walk in. Uh, The whole concept of dispensationalism, uh, a future for Israel. By the way, I'm kind of I'm tired I'm kind of tired of us saying a future for Israel. We don't believe Israel has a future. We believe Israel is the future. Amen. And the pre-trib rapture and the one day fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant in the millennial kingdom and the idea that a thousand in Revelation 21 through 10, which last time I checked is mentioned six times. Do you know what do you know what a thousand means over there? means a thousand years. Uh, I could quote mainline people, mainstream people that now are kind of suspicious about whether Revelation 21 through 10 means a thousand years because after all, that's part of the murky apocalyptic genre. That's kind of the academic buzzword. So you've got issues related to the end of the Bible, the beginning of the Bible. Uh, We've sent some folks over to some schools from our church in the pastoral ministries department and guess what guess what they're reading in the pastoral ministries department real orthodox people like brian mclaren uh, who in my mind is is heretical and so i'm just trying to highlight you know if we don't have an institution that trains and sends i mean i think we're losing on all of these different fronts. And as Charlie mentioned, you know, I had the chance of kind of revamping the Chafer curriculum. Um, I've kind of felt that one of the weaknesses in our tradition is we're very good in original languages, which is a plus, and we want to keep that. But sometimes your strength can be your greatest weakness because sometimes you can become a technician in original languages to the point where you study so intently the leaves on the veins of the tree that you forget what the what what the forest looks like so we want to keep original languages and our strength there so I don't misunderstand me as in any way subtracting from that but what I wanted to add to that is more of the big picture of the bible So in our program, uh, everybody will graduate having worked through all 66 books of the Bible. They'll have a working knowledge of the flow of all 66 books and where each book fits into uh, redemptive history. And that is not to replace a knowledge of Greek and Hebrew and in some cases Aramaic. It's meant to supplement that. So words have meanings based on their what? context. You take the word apple. How many meanings can you generate from the word apple? Well, it could be a computer. It could be New York City. It could be the apple of one's eye, like the the pupil. It could be a piece of fruit. So how in the world would I know what meaning to supply in any given text 
a knowledge of original languages in and of itself doesn't answer that question. It's a knowledge of the context of all 66 books and the specific context you're working in. So we've sort of added that alongside of it. And also, you know, as Charlie Clough mentioned, um, a lot of people look at our curriculum and are kind of intimidated by it. 120 units, it's a lot, lot of information. And so we kind of tried to design things where <laughs> you could achieve uh, a certificate sort of degree. I, don't, I guess we don't call it a degree, but a certificate if you are able to specialize in 30 units. Like we have a 30-unit program in Bible exposition, 30-unit program in theology, 30-unit program in original languages. Then you might say, you know, okay, I think I want to go for the THM. Do I got to start over? No, you take that 30 units that you've already done and you build on it. So that's sort of the philosophy that we're moving into. So I talked about a lot of things, but I'm just sort of explaining why Schaefer Seminary exists why um, when when I was asked I wanted to get involved with the project and um, why we need a school like this and sort of the direction that we're headed and we're trying to answer that email when we get it as pastors I can't find a church in my area that teaches the way you do verse by verse we want to see a map all over the United States of America of Chafer grads saying oh yeah you live in this area here's a, a like-minded Bible church or there's a like-minded Bible church. And we want to sort of stop the famine that's taking place uh, all over the country for the Word of God. And part of it is, you know, I'm a uh, father of a 12-year-old who's going to be a 13-year-old next month. I'm going to have a teenager in the house. So pray for me, would you? And, you know, it's you, you kind of reach a point where you start looking at your kids and a lot of you are looking at your your grandkids and you're wondering what kind of Christianity are they going to grow up in? Uh, are they just going to be in these churches that follow all these contemporary trends? Or are they going to be privileged to be in a sound Bible teaching doctrinal church like we are privileged to be in? And again, all of this is to highlight you start seeing the need for a school like Chafer Seminary. Anyway, that's our heart. So keep us in prayer, and that's sort of our trajectory and why we exist, and I'll turn it back over to Charlie. Thank you. Thank you. Um, one of the other things that we like to do as far as faculty, adjunct faculty, because that's mostly what we have now as adjuncts, uh, is to have people who are or have been pastors or ha are missionaries or have been missionaries because we don't want a technician. We want people who have actually had to minister to people and know what's, what the end goal is here. Uh, I'd like to introduce the first uh, new member of our board, Brad Maston. Brad is the uh, pastor of Fort Collins Bible Church. Uh, you've already seen uh, Josh, uh, pastor of El Paso Bible Church, Andy is pastor of Sugarland Bible Church. You notice a trend? That's why they're just not professors. They have the academic qualifications, but they're involved in active ministry. I don't think you're going to find that in many seminaries today. I'm going to ask uh, one more pastor to come who's on our board, Dave Roseland, and he's going to explain some of the coursework. 
But again, he is a pastor of Preston City Bible Church. So just notice the trend here. Dave? So we've had from um, Charlie and from from our chairman of the board, uh, the governing board, and from our school president, um, Andy, we've heard, we've had the vision. We've seen the vision, and it's always been uh, a challenge to move from vision to concrete steps that we take to get to the objective, to get on mission and do what the vision calls for. And um, we're a school. We're a school. We need to train people to fill the pulpits. And so I thought, and um, the board thought it was wise to use our annual conference as the launch point for everyone to understand what this school is going to be teaching over the next two semesters. That way you here who have a sense of that vision can say, you know, I, I might like to take some of that certificate work. What would that be? Today, we can tell you exactly what that is and when it is, and for the most part, who's going to teach it. And I thought that would be a very useful thing, and we've worked hard, I think, for everybody who's worked with me and who's, who's put some time in to try to figure out how this works, um, who is going to teach what. Um, can I have the projector back on uh, for a second? <clears throat> And let me uh, make one adjustment here. This is just off the presses. Uh, thank you, Barb, for putting this together uh, on such short notice. We've been working on getting this uh, offering for courses uh, where you can where you could see it for the conference. It's been a big work to try to put this out. I want to do this. I want us to do this every year so that you know exactly what we're going to do. Um, for the year at least and this is a minimum offering in other words we're committing ourselves to do these things on this sheet except for a couple typos which I will own <laughs> all right just highlight a few things in the curriculum look at all these courses that we're saying y'all sign up we'll teach it this is the fall registration opens August 1st classes begin August 26th and that's the normal academic semester for the fall so you think Labor Day to Christmas. That's what we're doing in the fall. And our intention was that since we're going to kind of roll out the courses, we want to start with THM fall first semester of that THM work. It's all going to be taught if we have students to take it. Don't worry. Don't think of me, a, a, a lowly and, and tragic adjunct professor, teaching no one in an empty room. It, that won't happen. Now, I will be in an empty room with my laptop looking at that little webcam, talking to people like I'm doing right now, and one person in Prague, <laughs> um, uh, one person in uh, Wisconsin. Uh, we have five students in the course I'm teaching right now, and uh, there's even someone in Rhode Island. Um, that's worse than Prague. These are offerings. Now, on the sheet, now we're, we're going to try to send everybody home with one of these printouts. If you have one, you can hold it up. If you'd like one, hold your hand up. But this is what we're, gonna, this is what we're going to do in the fall. And I've included something in this that I want you to, uh, to pay attention to. These are our offerings. And we are now in what we call pre-registration. 
We need to know if you need to take or want to take the course so that we'll know that it will actually be held. We are committing to do this if we can have people take the courses. Now, I, I was bitten by the idea of doing this, I think, in 2009 or 10, when George Meisinger got up and said, if you men have your THM, teach Master of Arts and Biblical Studies courses, teach the first couple of years of our curriculum courses in your churches, and we'll extend credit. And that's been uh, something I took seriously back then, and I've been doing it in my church and others in their churches. Some of you have done this same work. And so we've, we've been building on that idea ever since. And so what you're seeing now is an expression of that vision that George cast all those years ago that now we are kind of cooking with gas. There's a lot that we're being, that's being offered. And if you're like me, you want to overload your salad plate here with all the wonderful things that you could study. And so it's going to be a challenge. One of the great challenges of life is to balance that and say, I can actually just do what I can do. A couple of things I want to highlight. Dr. John Eidsmo was our keynote speaker a few years ago at the conference. It's a big win for us that he's going to teach uh, introductory apologetics. That's going to be a great course, and I really hope it goes. I hope all these go. I hope we, we have someone teach all these. We pointed out the pastor of El Paso Bible Church, Josh Meyer, is going to teach his people Bible study methods, and using our software, he's going to teach whoever wants to take it Bible study methods. And uh, he is um, a, a wonderful expositor of the Scriptures. And, um, and some of you who are not adjunct faculty yet are also capable expositors of the scriptures who could do this work. And we are very interested. I'm very interested. The board is very interested in, prom- in, in recruiting you to help do this. There are a lot of TBDs on here. Does anybody know what TBD means? Too bad, Dave. No, it means we don't know who's teaching that class yet, but we're committed to do it, which means I've got some recruiting to do, don't I? All right, so... Um, BE301 really puts everything together. It really is the introduction that sets you up to use all your language skills you'll learn, to understand where theology fits, all the theology classes we're going to take, and, and uh, all the Bible exposition courses and the, and the, the, the um, application of the, the lessons that you learn in hermeneutics and Bible study methods. Really, it's, it's kind of the linchpin to everything. It's a foundation for everything we do. You, a Greek scholar who doesn't really understand how to study the scriptures inductively is going to give you some bad conclusions because of some bad methodology. Method really does matter, and we take it seriously here. Um, I want to thank Clay Ward um, just for for my on my just for me because I love Clay and he's a dear friend, um, and um, and he's so good. Clay is going to teach Bible X courses both semesters. Can I get a round of applause, please, for Clay Wars and his Bible experts? Why would we clap? Because someone's going to teach a course. Father of six? Five. Six. Right, I'll never catch that. Okay. Father of six, very invested in their development and training, if you know Clay. Pastor of a church, missionary with DM2, willing to teach adjunct professor course for Chafer Seminary. We're rich, Clay, for you doing that, and everyone else on this list. A lifelong dream of mine ever since uh, Robbie p- published in our journal his, um, his view of our view of the Christian walk, abiding in Christ, has been that we would capture this work in an uh, academic level 
for what Chafer did at Dallas Seminary for years. Do- Dr. Lewis Perry Chafer taught the spiritual life course. And um, I, in putting this together, said, hey, Robbie, can you team teach this with me? Which means, will you do this? And, uh, <laughs> and so um, Robbie Dean's going to teach the spiritual life, uh, CI 901. Now, some of you are like, well, I want to teach spiritual life, or I want to teach Bible study methods. Who went to seminary and actually went to a brick-and-mortar seminary in the last 30, 40 years? Anybody? Raise your hand. Look at all those hands. Do you remember when you signed up for courses? Weren't there, like, multiple offerings of the same course by different professors where you could kind of pick who the professor you wanted to study with and, and, and when? I can't really make it Mondays and Wednesdays, but the Tuesday-Thursday slot works. We're not really... Um, staking out territory on these courses. If you want to teach a course and you're capable of teaching the course, hey, teach it. Teach it. We could have three spiritual life courses running. And, um, but nobody's going to talk to, the, no one's going to teach zero students. We'd actually have to have students sign up for it. Beginning Greek, uh-oh, too bad, Dave. We don't have a Greek teacher for beginning Greek yet. And some of you may be saying, I mean, Hopefully you are. You're thinking, I, I could teach introductory Greek. I, I know how to handle the, the scriptures in Greek. And for those poor, poor Chafer students that don't have a Greek professor for the beginning of the false. See, I'm, I'm, I'm hard selling this. We need to recruit someone to help us with beginning Greek. And I'm putting, I'm, I'm serious about this enough to say, we don't have an introductory Old Testament, uh, introductory Hebrew professor either. So I'm going to do it. I can. I know I can. I've done it before. I proofread for my academic internship and my THM program. I was a Bible X major, but I proofread a grammar by a, a Hebrew scholar at Dallas. I can, I can teach Old Testament 101 and 102. It's going to hurt. <laughs> Won't it? So um, Anthony Grigo has seven or eight students, 201, 202, ready to take the 203 exegesis course. Do we have anybody taking... Uh, Greek with Anthony now that's ready for 203 in the fall? Yeah, yeah, he's one of the seven. Some of y'all are here. I'm not going to do the whole list. Ray is ready to teach uh, our theology proper course, the, the essence of God, the, the, the doctrine of God. Oh, this is, a, this is exciting too. J.B. Hickson. Who knows J.B.? Everybody knows J.B. Hickson. J.B. Hickson is a full-on accredited Ph.D. from Baptist Bible Seminary in systematic theology. One thing that was really helpful for me in doing this was we have many people that are theologically, academically trained. I I didn't know who the theologian uh, majors were. I didn't know who the theology majors were. That's why I chose systematic theology for mine. We have have lots of depth in our theology studies department, which uh, needs to get together for a picnic or something at some point. But... um, uh, JB has said, I can teach any of the courses in your syllabus, and I have taught them for 20 years. And JB is willing to teach. He's teaching both semesters. And he couldn't be here with us today. He's doing traveling ministry, with his, uh, which his church allows him to do up in Colorado. And, um, but I had a great conversations with JB, and we're really rich that he's going to teach for us uh, this semester. We need someone to help us with um, TH405. Uh, ecclesiology and eschatology and of course Charlie is going to teach the framework now let me get to the the typos in the spring Charlie is not teaching two courses in the spring he is not teaching TH 401 that's actually a to be determined that's a too bad Dave we don't know who's teaching TH 401 the introduction prolegomena and stuff 
But you can just just look at, uh, oh, look at that. Robert L. Dean, Church History 1, HT501. Now, I don't know if he knows he's doing this yet. <laughs> but I did put this in front of him yesterday and said, is this okay? I mean, the whole chart. And he's like, yeah, it looks good. <laughs> he's been working, actually, Charlie, I'm sorry, Robbie's been working on getting this course, that 501, 502 together for quite a while. And this is going to be a big uh, work in his academic life. It's a big deal for us as a school. We're, we're rich. We really are rich. And that's what George was saying all those years ago. The, the, the beauty of this outfit, this group here, that I love so much, that, that, that we love getting together, the beauty is everyone here who's a pastor is actually doing the exegetical, theological hard work uh, to know what God has said in the scriptures and to rightly handle the word of truth. It's, it's, our, it's our goal. It's our objective. And so we're trained we have many trained people, and this is just a small sample. And um, there are many here who are sitting here thinking, you know, I, I, don't, uh, I don't know if I have time to, to teach any courses as an adjunct professor. Dan Ingram comes to mind. I'm sorry, that internal monologue went off and I said it out loud. I'm, I'm recruiting. I'm recruiting for adjunct. He knows I am. But um, if you are interested in doing some of this, there's lots of to-be-determines, and there may be courses you'd like to teach that aren't listed. Ray said, hey, I've developed a course in apologetics called Scientific Apologetics, but it's not in our curriculum. Well, you know what? It's not in, the, it's not in our THM or any of our certificate stuff, but it's an elective. And guess what? There may be some of you or some people you know that like to study that with Ray. We should do that. That's awesome. That's, it's available. And Ray's very competent and capable to do that. So um, I just ask for your prayers for, um, for these. This is a big load. We haven't done anything like this where we said this is what we commit to. We don't know. Um, th- in other words, this is kind of a test run. This is a pilot episode of Fall Spring. We don't know what the infrastructure of our um, go-to-training software is going to hold. We don't know if we're going to have to expand that more licenses or something to do that, just for one example. And I know, Hal, I know that's not in the budget. (laughs) But um, the point is, the school is now saying to you and to everyone you know, this is what we'd like to do if anybody would like to do that with us. And so now it's on everyone to say, I I get the vision. I'd like to take some of these classes. And uh, if, um, if there's anything or anyone you know that might be a good adjunct professor, or if there are any courses you need or you'd like to take. I have several students here that need courses. Um, we, the, the, the shingles out there, the, the lights on, please talk to us and give us some feedback about what you need so that we can make that happen for you. Thank you. Good job. Thank you. Okay, well, thank you, Dave. I think uh, we've gone through the whole presentation here. And uh, after we close, uh, Dr. Woods is in the back. Uh, Dave is over there. I'll be around here. So if you have any questions, um, feel free to to talk to us. Father, let's uh, end in prayer, and um, um, we'll just say grace for the meal. Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you that we have still left in our country the liberty to assemble peacefully and to have the freedom to express our faith. We thank you for the many believers who are standing firm for the faith, not only here but elsewhere around the globe, experiencing suffering, experiencing persecution. 
We think of the Christian students who are fighting for the Christian worldview and their own thinking at the university campuses around us. And we ask for wisdom as folks in the Bible church movement to figure out how we can best serve you by teaching your word in a wise fashion. For we ask this in our Savior's name. Amen.